I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And on today's show, we take a close look at McDonnell versus United States, a major Supreme Court case in which uh, Bob McDonnell, a former governor of Virginia, is challenging his conviction under public corruption law. Joining me to discuss the issues in this fascinating case are two of America's leading legal experts, both of whom filed amicus briefs on opposite sides of the case. Noah Bookbinder is the executive director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, and Judge Nancy Gertner is a senior lecturer on law at Harvard Law School. Uh, Noah, uh, Nancy, if I may, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here. Good to be here, too. Noah, can we jump right in, and can you tell us the facts of the case? What were the prosecution's charges against former Governor McDonnell, and what was he convicted of? Sure. Uh, well, the, the prosecution charged Governor McDonnell um, with uh, what's called honest services fraud, uh, which is a sort of a fancy name that, uh, in this case, uh, really comes down to uh, charging him with bribery, with uh, accepting things of value in exchange for... Uh, uh, official actions to benefit the, the person who gave him those those things of value. Uh, he was also convicted under a, uh, under a charge called the Hobbs Act. Uh, again, a uh, somewhat uh, esoteric federal law, but uh, really in this case came down essentially to bribery charges. Um, the factual allegations uh, were that uh, Governor McDonnell uh, accepted almost two hundred thousand dollars worth of. Uh, loans and gifts uh, from uh, a guy named Johnny Williams. Uh, this was not somebody who was a close personal friend. It was somebody who had um, an, an interest in the state of Virginia helping him with a product that he was launching. It was a drug that he was launching. He wanted it uh, tested at Virginia medical schools. He wanted it promoted by the state of Virginia. Um, he gave to Governor, Governor McDonnell uh, over $100,000 in personal loans. Those loans were not documented. They were not repaid until uh, none of that started until after the investigation began. Uh, he also uh, bought uh, Governor McDonald and his wife uh, a Rolex watch, uh, paid $15,000 for uh, Governor McDonald's daughter's wedding. Um, he took uh, Governor McDonald's wife on a $20,000 plus dollar uh, shopping spree at, at, at designer stores, uh, you know, really, really extensive gifts. Uh, in, in return, uh, Governor McDonnell, um, as the government alleged and as the jury found, um, uh, helped uh, Mr. Williams by, um, uh, by uh, doing a, uh, holding a product launch at the governor's mansion, by setting up meetings uh, with uh, Mr. Williams and with those people within the state government, government who would make the decision on whether or not to do these kinds of trials that, that uh, Mr. Williams wanted, on uh, urging follow-up meetings, on uh, uh, sympathetically passing on materials to those, uh, to those kinds of officials. Um, the, the thing that makes the, the case uh, tricky in some ways and what, what the, the court is going to be looking at is that uh, ultimately um, this product did not get those trials um, at, at Virginia medical schools. Um, so, you know, there wasn't, uh, uh, Mr. Williams didn't get what he ultimately wanted. Uh, what the government uh, alleged and, and what the jury found is that 
uh, Governor McDonald used his office to uh, to help um, uh, Johnny Williams uh, toward the goal of getting what he wanted, uh, and and uh, uh, and. Uh, made various official acts in, in doing that. And, and he did that in exchange, essentially, for payments and, and, and gifts. And that constitutes bribery. And, and, and that's what he was convicted of. Great. Thank you so much for that. So, Nancy, it sounds like the legal dispute may turn on definition of official act. The right. Supreme Court has defined official act as the actual exercise of government power. And the question here is, given the fact that the acts that the businessman wanted, state funding, didn't occur, is the possibility that behavior could have some attenuated connection to a potential government decision later an official act? Uh, describe that dispute and what you think about it. Right. I mean, in, in one sense, one way of looking at it is that everything uh, a, someone does in office is an official act, right, except uh, maybe, you know, after hours. But there's an official act is a spectrum, is a continuum. On the one hand, there is, I'm going to get you this contract in exchange for the money. And at the other end of the continuum, there is, uh, you know, the Lincoln bedroom, if you recall, it's access to, to players, it's the uh, ingratiation and access, and that's at the other end. Um, there's no question that when a governor or a mayor uh, makes an introduction uh, to somebody in a position of power, introduces a private party to someone in a position of power, or seats them at the table in the governor's mansion in a particular place, that that person's access could then lead to getting contracts, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it, it, there's no question that money for that seat or for staying over at the White House or these things are, is troubling. The critical question is whether it is criminal. Um, and, and again, not whether it should be criminal. That the way could differ about that. It could well be that it should be criminal. But the question is whether it has been made criminal. And then the third question is, if it has not been clearly made criminal, can a prosecutor use it as the basis for uh, a conviction? Uh, in other words, we, the, the constitutional issue is, if there is ambiguity, you cannot use the criminal laws to prosecute someone because people have to have notice of whether their behavior is illegal going forward. People have to have notice of that so that they can conform their conduct to the law. You can't have vague laws, which we then apply to people uh, after the fact. Um, there's a famous quote in a, a case of mine when I was a lawyer. There was a dissent by Judge Torway in a political corruption case when he cited, this is an overstatement to be sure, the Soviet Constitution, <laughs> where, you know, crimes were, uh, were essentially, uh, there was essentially the, the, the statute says something like, crimes are whatever the prosecutor determines when the prosecutor determines it. The difficulty here is that on that continuum from here's money for this contract to here's money to sit next to me, that continuum has to a degree been muddied by Citizens United. Citizens United, to be sure, <laughs> was dealing with something different, was dealing with campaign contributions. But the Supreme Court very broadly describes, and just Justice Kennedy very broadly describes ordinary American politics as money for access and ingratiation. And then further muddying this and muddying uh, a, a, a criminal case means a due process concern. Further muddying this is that Virginia, typically uh, things like this are regulated specifically by the states, and Virginia apparently did not find this conduct to have been illegal. 
So if if the bottom line here is it makes us uncomfortable, it makes us uh, we think that politicians should not be doing this, um, then we should make the laws clear because the criminal law should not be about guessing about where on the continuum you are. Fascinating. So, Noah, one of the most uh, interesting and arresting points in Nancy's brief is her claim uh, that Citizens United suggested that money in exchange for ingratiation or access is part of American politics and is not corruption. Uh, do you agree that Citizens United applies here and that, uh, in addition, what do you think of her claim that since McDonald had no reason to believe what he was doing would violate the law, uh, this uh, conviction is based on a law that's unconstitutionally vague? Uh, sure. So first of all, on the uh, on the Citizens United money for access point, I, I have sort of two thoughts on on uh, on that. The first um, is that I think it's it's really an important distinction that uh, Citizens United is talking about uh, campaign finance. It's talking about campaign contributions, which the Supreme Court has found are. Uh, constitutionally protected speech, uh, essentially that when you give when you give money to a campaign, um, that money is going to uh, uh, facilitate speech about uh, political issues, which is uh, which gets core First Amendment protection. Now we can disagree about whether uh, Citizens United went too far in in uh, protecting uh, campaign contributions, and and I and and uh, uh, citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in, in Washington certainly feel that did. But even that aside, um, this case is about something totally different. This case is about personal enrichment, um, that there there wasn't a single um, campaign contribution that um, Governor McDonnell received from, from uh, Johnny Williams. He received uh, personal loans, personal gifts, luxury items, rides in, in, in private jets, um, uh, Rolex watches. Uh, these none of these are, um, are are things that are entitled to First Amendment protection. Uh, so that's a really important distinction. Um, the second point uh, that uh, that um, I would want to make is that it's uh, that that um, I I think at least that the law is is clear that that. Um, the Supreme Court in Citizens United was not saying that um, it was uh, okay or that it was constitutionally protected to be able to uh, sell access for the purpose of, of petitioning the government uh, for um, on policy and on on. Uh, on what an official could do, that surely we have not come to a place where um, it is not only permissible but protected uh, that a government official can say, if you want to meet with me to make your case on an issue, you need to give me a campaign contribution or even better, give me a Rolex watch or a ride in a jet. Um, if that's the case, then we have a, a, a situation where the right to petition government, which is in and of itself constitutionally protected um, is something that uh, that you now have to pay for, uh, which excludes the vast majority of, of Americans. Uh, certainly most Virginians couldn't pay that kind of price to Governor McDonnell for the chance to make their case to him. Uh, we think that is highly, highly problematic. 
Um, as to you, you know, let me just stop there because those are such good points. I know I asked you two questions, but let me ask Nancy to respond to your interesting points about Citizens United. Uh, Nancy Noah says there's a difference. This is watches and not campaign contributions. And Citizens United didn't say that you have to pay to exercise the right to petition. Uh, what's your response? Well, I mean, I think uh, there's no question Citizens United was about protected speech. And so if you go back to my continuum concept, there is protected speech, which is campaign contributions in exchange for money and access, which is what Citizens United was about. And to that degree, people are paying. The court is legitimizing paying for uh, uh you know, paying for access to the government, paying to petition, albeit not personal enrichment. Noah's quite right about that. But certainly the court is legitimizing that. And really the court uh, could not have been clearer that that's ordinary American politics. So that's, again, on one side of the continuum, fully protected. On the other side is paying for a contract, et cetera, et cetera. So the issue really comes down to have we been clear it's not a question of, of can we regulate, because we clearly can regulate uh, non-campaign contributions. We clearly can regulate personal enrichment. We could say tomorrow that, in fact, people in office should not accept personal gifts over, you know, $50. Uh, we can clearly regulate it. The question is only, in the absence of that regulation, whether or not the criminal law should apply in the absence of that statement of defining what the line is the criminal law should apply. Citizens United and then later on the, case, the, case, the Enron case of skilling muddied the waters. On the one hand, the court in, skill, in Citizens United says that this is money for, money for access in the campaign context is okay. Skilling says we should restrict bribery to the traditional quid pro quo, the traditional concept. And never before has skilling been applied to I give you money in exchange for access, uh, you know, sitting at the table. It hadn't been applied before. So the issue is at least muddied from that um, term, it seems to me. The quid pro quo, think about it also. In, in talking about these cases, people often come back and say, you can't do the Rolex to sit next to the governor. You can't give me a Rolex in exchange for sitting next to the governor. And, you know, that's very interesting. I could say, um, uh, first of all, politics doesn't happen like that. It is, I give you a Rolex. It is, I give you a this, and then, by the way, you're bound to come to the top of the, of the, uh, you know, come to the top of my list of people who are going to be seated next to me at the, at the mansion. Um, again, it's the ambiguity of politics. I don't think Noah and I disagree for a minute that this is not the way American government should run. I think my only concern is I think that there ought to be explicit rules so that the governor McDonald's know exactly what they've done is illegal. Where Virginia had said it was not illegal, where Citizens United and Skilling at least muddied the waters, where one could imagine, you know, the question is what the line is. Is the line a question of degree? If it had been only the Rolex and you sit next to me at the table, would that have been uh, enough? It was it the amount involved here. The criminal law should not, criminal prosecution should not depend upon those kinds of distinctions. It, it is, you know, the, 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 it's the final uh, weapon of the government, and it should be dealing with things that are clear. Great. Okay, Noah, now Nancy has helped us return to this question of vagueness, and she mentioned the Skilling case from 2010. I want to ask you what bearing you think it has on this case. Uh, Justice Scalia's dissent in Skilling said that 
honest services law should be struck down because it's too vague to give subjects notice of what conduct is criminal. Uh, do you agree, and, and do you think this case proves that point, as McDonald argues? Sure, absolutely. Um, first of all, I, I, I did just want to, um, on that sort of first point we've been discussing, make, make one more point, which is that I, I do think that there is a difference between what the Supreme Court said in Citizens United, which is that um, giving a, a campaign contribution uh, in the uh, hopes and uh, assumption um, that if you make a call, the office holder is more likely to take it, and you might be more likely to, to, to get a meeting scheduled. Um, that's very different from an agreement that says, if you give me these loans, I will um, hear you out. I will introduce you to other people uh, who are going to be key decision makers. I will advocate on your behalf. Uh, which is really the kind of thing that you have going on here. And so I think you know, access can mean different things, and the kind of access that we're talking here is is, um, is really different from what, what uh, the court had in mind in, in Citizens United. I'll also say from you know, my time uh, as a longtime staffer in the Senate and as a corruption prosecutor looking at a lot of these cases, um, the kinds of things you have in, 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 in this case are not politics as usual in any way that I ever experienced it, that... Um, you know, people that politicians are getting offered these kinds of lavish gifts on a regular basis and accepting them and helping people out and just kind of thinking that that's uh, how it how it goes. I, I, I think that and that really does, is a transition to the notice point that um, this is not uh, uh, the way things always work. These are uh, extraordinary circumstances, and and uh, surely somebody accepting a Rolex watch from someone. Uh, or a, or a fl- flight on a plane or a hundred thousand dollars from somebody with an interest uh, before you um, ought to make you um, think very clearly about what you're doing and 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 really evaluate whether this is something that could get you in trouble. Um, in terms of the skilling case, um, what was really at issue there was whether honest services fraud this this um, uh, statute, which which certainly is a I mean, is a one sentence statute um, that applied to a whole uh, that had been held to apply to a, a whole range of conduct um, and and created a great deal of confusion. Uh, whether it uh, applied uh, to more than bribery, whether it brought in things like undisclosed conflicts of interest, um, other kinds of concepts. Um, so what the court said in Skilling is that um, that. They saw uh, this honest services fraud statute as acceptable, as, as clear uh, for uh, to defendants if it was limited to bribery and kickbacks. Uh, now, within the context of bribery, uh, the law has long been clear that official that that uh, there is a broad uh, definition of what is an official act. The the Birdsall case, which is 1914, more than 100 years ago. Uh, the Supreme Court said that an official act is uh, anything within uh, the official duty of, of, of a government official. Um, and so the, so skilling didn't really change anything in that regard. Um, and in that sense, uh, as, as I look at it, uh, post-skilling, um, there's, uh, there is actually quite clear notice that if you are uh, taking money uh, or taking uh, gifts, taking things of value in exchange for uh, using your office in a way that helps somebody um, uh, in, in, in a broad sense, 
uh, that is bribery, and, that, and, and, and that's something that you can be charged with, um, that if you start narrowing that in some way and saying, you know, these, these types of things that you do as an official count and, the, and those types of things don't, I actually think that that creates um, more ambiguity and, and, and certainly allows for the possibility of a kind of exception uh, that you can drive a truck through, that, that I'll take your money, I won't make the final decision, I'll just put you in touch with the people who will and, 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 and give them a sense of where I come down on this, they'll make the decision I can't be charged with bribery because, um, you know, we, we started carving out these kinds of very, these kinds of technical exceptions. Great. Uh, well, Nancy, uh, if the court does decide that the statutes in this case are overbroad and that the definition of uh, official acts is too expansive, how would you suggest that Congress write a law to provide notice? Basically, where would you draw the line? Well, um, I just want to take a point from what Noah just said, which is using your office in a way that helps somebody. That can't be the standard, right? And using your office in a way that helps somebody. So the on the range of things that the official is um, uh, acting, with the kinds of acts that the official is doing on behalf of a contributor, as I said, that's a that that could be, you know, where inviting you to the to the dinner. It could be making the introductions. That's the that's really what campaign contributions brought you. That's really what ordinary politics is uh, about. Um, and. And that's really a hard line to draw, which are the things that help somebody. Um, I think I have no problem with a law. There's a federal state issue, I might add, whether it's up to Congress or whether it's up to the individual states. But I would not be adverse to a law that says no public official should accept more than $25 in personal contributions or more than a certain amount. In other words, rather than trying to regulate the what is it for part of the equation, you regulate the amount part of the equation. Um, but, uh, but in addition, the, the, the notion that any explicit bargain should be made criminal, any, putting aside a, a sort of bar to money, that was my first point, but any that you could say that the law covers any explicit bargain. Uh, I give you X in exchange, you do Y. And again, we would not think that the, uh, an explicit bargain for, you know, an invitation to the governor's ball should be the subject or has been the subject of the criminal law. So I don't think I don't think we know how to define what the official act should be that qualifies for an illegal bargain. I think it's very difficult to say that an explicit you know, quid pro quo, we should, we should eliminate those because politics doesn't happen that way. I think there should be a bar to how much money people can give to sitting governors or sitting officials. Come up with a number and then stick by it. And that would make, and anyone who violates that is then subject to prosecution. That makes sense. It can't be a, it can't be a standard that depends on where you are again on this continuum of acts. It also can't be a standard that is too much. That's the standard in, in McDonald. If it had been $100, no one would have bothered, but because it was this amount, it was too much. The criminal law can't be revolving around what is enough and what is too much. So uh, I'm all in favor of a very, very clear line, indeed a clear bar. Uh, interesting. So, Noah, interested in what you think of Nancy's suggestion that uh, 
regulate the how much and not the 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 why, but also what's your response to her claim that your standard, you know, an official act that helps someone is too vague. That that uh, echoes a claim in the state attorney general's brief that says this would empower the executive branch to perform the legislative function of de- demarcating which routine political present pleasantries constitute common political courtesy and which are indictable corruption. Basically, Nancy says your standard is too vague, just as the lower courts was. Um, sure. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is that I, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Judge Gertner's uh, suggestion of essentially a, 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 a strong gift statute that says you can't accept over a certain amount. Uh, I think that's uh, I, I think that's a good idea. I think it is it is clear, um, and it uh, and, and it's it, it sort of comport with comports with the kind of government that I think uh, most of us would like to see. Um, so I, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I do think that uh, there is a place for uh, the federal government uh, in this, that uh, corruption is one of those areas where I think it's most problematic to um, uh, defer entirely to the states because uh, you're, you're asking people to regulate themselves for their own corrupt conduct. Um, that, you know, asking someone who works for the governor to go after the governor uh, for corrupt conduct is often unrealistic, and we've seen that again and again. So I, I, I do think that there is a, a real place for a, for a, a strong federal standard. Um, what I would say is that, you know, within corruption law, um, there are levels of, of culpability. There are different levels of, of offenses, and taking an impermissible gift uh, is a problem, um, and should be prosecuted. Uh, it, should, it should be first of all specified in the law, and then prosecuted when people violate that law. Um, it's a it's a uh, it's a problem that can be sort of a technical one. That whoops, I accepted a gift that was a little higher than the limit. Um, shouldn't have done that, uh, but that's not really a serious offense. Bribery is something much more serious. Um, bribery is an agreement to mis- misuse your office, to use your office to benefit somebody who. Has given something uh, that 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 helps you as the office holder. Um, that's something that's been uh, part of the law for hundreds of years, uh, in you know going back before American law, um, and uh, and has to be uh, a concept that is part of the law as something more serious, more fundamentally corrupt, more dangerous to the system than merely taking a gift. And so I, I really do think uh, that there does need to be. Um, there does need to be a bribery statute beyond the kind of gift statute that uh, Judge Gertner was talking about. Um, I, I do think that, you know, as far as the vagueness issue goes, um, there are a couple of key things. Uh, one is that um, a really key part of, of bribery, which, which people sometimes gloss over, is the agreement piece. Um, so it's not merely, um, you know, you take something uh, from somebody and then they call you and you answer the phone. It is that um, uh, th- that you agree uh, to uh, to perform official acts, uh, and I use the term you know help somebody out as sort of a shorthand for that. But to perform official acts that benefit that person uh, on uh, in exchange for the money. Now, you know, one thing about prosecuting bribery is that unless you have a tape recording, um, you're not going to get that ex- agreement. Uh, you're not going to get explicit proof of that agreement. I, I was lucky enough to be part of one prosecution where we had a tape that did exactly that, but that's a sort of for a prosecutor, that's a once in a lifetime thing. Um, so you have to infer that by 
if, uh, if you're also fairly lucky, testimony from one of the people involved. Um, if not, uh, from uh, overwhelming circumstantial evidence. Um, and so, but, but that agreement is something that lifts it beyond uh, the kinds of facts that, that a lot of people are concerned about. Um, and then it is uh, also to be clear, nobody's talking here about um, an, an invitation to, you know, attend a dinner as a guest. You're talking about uh, the opportunity to um, make your case for uh, specific action, specific policy, and be uh, helped in, in the ability to, to, um, uh, to, to see that policy brought into practice, um, which is you know, which is something that uh, is really in a different uh, in a different ballpark. I, I think that that the law has never said that you have to be successful uh, in getting what you want to uh, to have bribery. Um, you can have bribery even if the official doesn't actually have the power to do what they've agreed to do. Um, but uh, that that you know where you have um, proof of that agreement and proof of actions uh, using the, uh, uh, taking official actions in a way that benefit that individual. Um, that's something uh, that has been uh, has been a crime for uh, dozens or hundreds or, uh, of years, and 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 where. Um, uh, there, there is sufficient notice for officials. Uh, you know, every in, indication in, in McDonald's case is that uh, there are um, multiple points where it should have been clear to him that what he was doing was not only morally problematic, but uh, likely to get him in trouble with the law. Wonderful. Uh, Nancy, I want to return to the First Amendment and the Citizens United point that you raised in your brief First, I want to ask, would your proposal of capping at $25 uh, or imposing a low cap on gifts be consistent with Citizens United? And it, would not, it, would, yeah. it would be gifts, not campaign contributions. I think that that is a meaningful distinction. There, there is no First Amendment protection to giving money to public officials out of the context of a, camp, a political campaign. And I agree that the balance of regulation is very different in a campaign. That's what Citizens United, by the way, with which I strongly disagree, um, was about. But, but in addition, I want to, can I follow along with something that Noah just said, which is, to, so there is this concept of an agreement, and there's something wrong with an agreement that I give you money and in exchange you answer the phone or introduce me to this official or that official. The Given, frankly, um, American politics and the, the message of Citizens United, those agreements are rare. Usually it will be uh, a, a wealthy official giving money to someone or a golf trip or uh, in a ride on my plane. And it, the, the, the exchange will be implicit and the exchange will be access will be, as a result of having given you this, you will have access. And it's the, exactly the implicit nature, the fact that this is not specific, and that, that, that leads to the continuum that I'm talking about. I give you a ride on my plane. Oh, no questions asked. I'm not, gonna, I'm not asking for anything. A week later, you say, actually, could you introduce me to so-and-so? That has to be specifically regulated. 
because we've come too far down the line to understand what the distinctions are. So this, this concept that an agreement trumps everything is very interesting, except that it rarely happens, and it's usually circumstantial evidence of politics as usual. Um, and then the notion that we can meaningfully make distinctions between where you sit at dinner and I will give you uh, an opportunity, you know, how I give you access to give you an opportunity to make your case. Where you sit at dinner gives me a better opportunity to make my case. Your invitation to sit next to the governor legitimizes your petition. Uh, and that, as I said, is American politics and wrong and should be expressly, expressly regulated, but this isn't, this isn't the way to do it. it. It really comes down to line drawing and when you have legitimized money in politics, as we have, sadly, uh, you, we have to make sure that these lines are, are clear. That's, what, that's all that I'm talking about. And saying an agreement is an agreement is an agreement really, um, uh, I think, is a bit of a dodge because these are rarely explicit. And you're most of the time taking from the bones of American politics, taking from the sort of ordinary give and take of American politics, what must have been the agreement. But that must have been the agreement every time someone reaches out to a politician. You know, every business leader that reaches out to a politician to do something for is not doing it because the politician is, you know, Mother Teresa. They're doing it because the politician can give them something in exchange. And so we have to make clear what those lines are. Great. Um... Noah, how much of a stretch is this case? You were a prosecutor. The McDonald's uh, defenders are saying that this would be an unprecedented criminalization of politics. Uh, do you agree, or are these kind of prosecutions uh, routine? Uh, I, I certainly don't agree that this is a, a, a um, tremendous stretch. I think actually in, in, in a lot of ways um, this case has very strong facts for the prosecutor. Um, the um, you know the the fact that you have that what you're talking about are uh, personal gifts. They're extravagant personal gifts. They're gifts from someone who did not have a pre-existing personal relationship. Uh, they are followed very closely um, by the governor doing specific things uh, that were helpful to, to Mr. Williams. Um, it 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 looks um, you know, very much like the kind of uh, like the kind of case that um, prosecutors do bring, um, stronger than many, um, and uh, so I, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't see it as unprecedented uh, or shocking. I, I, I think that, that you know, a lot of ways, the facts of the of the case are, are, are shocking. I really do agree um, tr uh, significantly with Judge Gertner about. Uh, the the state of of American politics and and that that more needs to be done um, to uh, reduce uh, the presence of money in politics and the influence of money in politics and and the way that major contributors uh, do expect uh, to see their interests uh, catered to um, but I think that that's not what that that's that is really different from what you have going on in this case um, where you're talking about um, uh, you're talking about the personal you know, personal benefits uh, to an elected official, um, and also talking about um, not just oh something came up that 
I know would be helpful to a, a that I know is an issue that's important to a contributor. So maybe I'll be a little more likely to vote this way. But rather, I'm going to get on the phone and set something up and 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 uh, arrange an event in the governor's mansion to help them and and you know pull out the their pill bottle at a meeting with the key official to talk about how how great it is. Um, that that uh, you know that that's really something. Um, that is is different in kind from uh, what we see as politics as usual, which is also incredibly problematic. Um, and, and and so I you know I, I I do think that's important. I also think in terms of uh, Judge Gertner is absolutely right that agreements are that that you you rarely have explicit proof of an agreement, and so it does come down to uh, context and circumstantial evidence. And frankly, that's why we have juries. Um, and, you know, the, the, the case for the prosecutor to argue that there was the kind of uh, agreement that, that, uh, that, uh, bribery statutes prohibit and, and defense counsel to say that there wasn't. And, and in this case, uh, you've had, uh, those arguments were made ad nauseum. Uh, the jury, uh, convicted, the appeals court, uh, affirmed, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, those arguments have have had their day. Except Great. that the the part of the case was also that the jury that the judge's instructions, which defined official act as essentially anything that a governor did, anything, would have put in the same category, uh, you know, setting up a, a product launch in the governor's mansion as, uh, you know, I'm going to give you the right phone call to to make the right phone number to make. I mean, in other words. The, the, the instructions in this case were as broad as the continuum I'm describing. So that was the problem. Great. Well, uh, one last question, and then we'll move to closing arguments. And the question is, how do you think the court will decide this case? Uh, as Judge Gertner's support for McDonald's position suggests, there are civil libertarian liberals and libertarian conservatives you know, on uh, the same side here, and the Skilling case brought together a broad coalition of liberals and conservatives uh, to find that the conduct at issue was not covered by the statute. So uh, starting with you, Noah, um, what do you think the breakdown will be and how do you think uh, the decision might have been different if Justice Scalia were, were still on the court? Sure. Uh, I will start by saying I, I really don't have a clear sense of where the court is going to come down on this one. Um, I think it does not divide on uh, traditional uh, Partisan and ideological lines, as you pointed out, uh, there there uh, have been liberals and conservatives um, uh, taking up Governor McDonald's uh, case. There have also been liberals and conservatives um, supporting the government's position in this in this case. Um, I think that over the last several decades, uh, the court has tended, when they have uh, looked at uh, corruption statutes, to uh, be more likely to limit those statutes and and overturn convictions. That seems to be often what they want to do when they take up these cases. Um, I think that the facts in in this case um, may well uh, offend some justices because they find the prosecution uh, offensive and offend other justices because they find the conduct offensive um, and really could could lead to a split. Um, you know, you could imagine uh, justices who have often uh, tended to be uh, pro, sort of pro law enforcement in a number of different contexts, like uh, Justice Alito on one side and Justice Sotomayor on the other, uh, being sympathetic to the government. You could imagine uh, justices who have tended to be 
very concerned about ambiguous statutes, um, uh, like uh, Justice Thomas on one side and, and perhaps Justice Kagan on the other side, um, being more sympathetic to, to Governor McDonald. Um, so I, I, I think it's very hard to predict. I, I feel um, more confident that Justice Scalia likely would have been sympathetic to Governor McDonald um, based on where he's come down on, on uh, federal corruption law in the past. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, his passing perhaps makes it slightly more likely that, that the government will be affirmed, but I, I feel like a 4-4 decision is probably unlikely, um, and I, I, I just don't have a really strong sense of, of where the court's going to end up. Thank you for that. Uh, Nancy, your sense of how the court might well, decide? I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that the, the Justice Scalia's absence from this decision actually is, is quite substantial, since he, you know, people don't understand that the, the, with Justice Scalia, it's not just a question of a reliable vote, if there is a reliable vote for him. There's also an extraordinarily strong voice, and the person who articulates and frames and it, the argument, uh, uh, you know, that makes an enormous difference. Um, so I, I do think that I don't I, I can't predict either. I know that his absence makes a difference, and here and this is a situation where a four-four split affirms the lower court. And the question is whether the if in a due process notice issue, whether the court would want to do that because to some degree uh, it leaves unresolved the very issue that the case is about, which is how to give notice. In other words, it leaves ambiguous an argument about ambiguity, which is a troubling. Uh, situation. So I can't predict either, but I do think that the absence of Justice Scalia makes an enormous difference. Wonderful. Well, it is time for closing arguments. And Noah, I will ask you, uh, why is this case uh, important and why should our listeners care about it? Sure. Uh, certainly from um, our perspective, um, th- there are really two things that, that make this uh, very important. Um, one is that uh, over the over the past uh, several decades, the Supreme Court has, um, because of concerns about ambiguity and concerns about notice, um, uh, weakened several key corruption laws, uh, which have had a real impact on the government's ability to uh, bring federal corruption prosecutions, um, and uh, and have given uh, wider latitude to officials to. Uh, believe that they that they can in uh, engage in conduct which uh, benefits them and benefits um, uh, those who uh, who would uh, give them things that 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 are of value to them uh, without uh, without consequence and um, you know that that uh, is one of many things that has contributed I think to uh, real dissatisfaction in this country about um, whether we have a government that is responsive to the uh, public interest and the real needs of the people. And it, it would, uh, I think, be a real shame uh, to see corruption laws further limited uh, in ways that that um, uh, further leads to a sense that it's sort of the Wild West out there and, and officials can, can uh, do things that, that are really disturbing to all of us without any repercussions. Um, the second point that um, uh, that I think makes this very significant um, is this sense of are we moving toward a system where we 
uh, not only permit but actually give a constitutional right uh, to officials to say that if you want to um, if you want to make your case to me, if you want to um, be able to influence what I do, you need to pay for it. You need to uh, not only give campaign contributions but give uh, give me things that I want personally. And I think that's uh, that's a system that further uh, can move our political system toward one that benefits the very wealthy, benefits corporations, benefits connected interests at the expense of regular people who can't uh, afford to do that and, and will continue having less and less of a say in government. Uh, and, uh, you know, how, where this decision will come down on uh, and wh- whether it will take up those issues, um, it's hard to say, but there's, there's really the potential for serious damage. There's also the potential for a, uh, a, a very constructive statement um, about uh, the kind of corrupt conduct that, that uh, can be investigated, can be charged and, and prosecuted. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Nancy, your concluding thoughts about why this case is important and why our listeners should care about it. The, um, there's a famous quote by Justice Jackson about how if the, essentially the gist of it is that if the law is ambiguous, uh, uh, criminal law is ambiguous, then a prosecutor can pick the people that he wishes to prosecute because the law doesn't define what it is he's doing. The law doesn't tell him in advance what he's doing. And that's a danger in our contested political world, that you wind up with a prosecutor picking uh, his victims um, out of all of the politicians uh, in, in, his, you know, in his jurisdiction, uh, picking his victims uh, in a way to prosecute particular kinds of issues and not others. And that's the danger. And so it's a danger of, of a prosecutorial overreaching on the one hand, and it's a danger that people don't know what the lines are. I think, you know, what is interesting about this debate is that I think, as I have said before, no and I agree. The question is the use of the criminal law, not the civil law, not regulations, the use of the criminal law to regulate conduct. And what is clear is that the Due Process Clause says that if there is any ambiguity, then you have to, then you can't use the criminal law in that way. It's not enough to say a jury decided. Uh, it's not enough to say that someone should be at risk of criminal prosecution, pay the cost of a lawyer, and then wind up with the vagaries of a jury. Before you step down that road, the law has to be clear. So that's what this is about. I think going forward, Noah and I should walk into the walk down the road together, hand in hand, to try to come up <laughs> with a better way of doing this um, than than using the criminal law after the fact. Well, we the people would love to host that uh, <laughs> lovely pastoral stroll down the constitutional lane toward bipartisan agreement. Uh, Noah Bookbinder, Judge Nancy Gertner, thank you so much for an illuminating and really clarifying discussion on an important case, the last case that the Supreme Court will hear this term. Uh, Noah, Nancy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was engineered by Jason Gregory and produced by Nicandro Iannacci. Research was provided by Josh Weinberg and Danielle Evans. Get the latest constitutional news and continue the conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Constitution CTR, and on our Twitter feed, twitter.com forward slash Constitution CTR. Please subscribe to We the People on iTunes. While you're in the iTunes store, leave us a rating and review. 
It helps other people discover what we do. Please also subscribe to Live at America's Town Hall, featuring conversations and debates presented here at the Constitution Center across from Independence Hall in lovely Philadelphia. We the People is a member of Slate's Panoply Network. Check out all of our sibling podcasts at itunes.com forward slash panoply. And finally, despite our congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support, and we rely on the generosity of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this great podcast. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.